Scripture says, And again he, Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And at that moment, this story changes. So let's bow together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, dear Lord, for what you do. And God, thank you for speaking to us. Help us hear you now as we offer this prayer to you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Now here we're in in Mark chapter 2, but in chapter 1... Jesus has done some things, and I'm going to run through a a quick list. You can read the chapter in just a few minutes. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and it says they were amazed. They marveled because he taught with authority, uh, not like other people did. Then in the next verse, Mark chapter 1, 23, he casts out spirits. A few verses down, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he healed many people, a lot of people. Then in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, he heals a leper. So now, he's he's in town and he's healing people. So no reason, I mean, excuse me, no, no marveling that there was a crowd drawn around. If we left here and we went through the streets of Conway and anywhere, honestly, healing people, you better believe there'd be a crowd here where we are. Jesus drew crowds because he met their deepest needs. And we're going to read more about it in that just a minute. But in the middle of all those healings, casting out demons, healing lots of people, healing Peter's mother-in-law, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we find him in prayer. He got up early in the morning, and he's praying. So as he's out meeting needs, Jesus never forgot He never lost touch with where his power came from. He got his power from the Father, and then he shared it with the people. What a great example for you and me today. I've heard people say about the church sometimes when they they thought about Jesus, and they said, well, now, Jesus drew crowds of people. Why doesn't the church draw crowds of people? Well, Again, if we healed people, we'd draw crowds. But in, in, in the beginning of these verses, what he's got again is like when he fed the 5,000. They're a bunch of spectators. They've come to see another miracle. Uh, they're interested in hearing what he's got to say. But, but, but they're, most of them, they're really not there yet now. This is a different kind of crowd. In the church today, I believe if we did what what happens in these next verses, I believe we'd see a crowd. As a matter of fact, yesterday, Connie and I were at uh, training for Operation In As Much, and John Daltrey, who led it, made made this statement that I haven't said it quite as well as as he has, but I love the way John said it. And and my quote may, don't write it down because maybe I missed a word or two in here, but John made the statement If we were the most loving, caring place in the community, we wouldn't be able to keep people away. 
And I've said that in, for years, for probably 30 years. Now, I don't know that we need to model what this, uh, this TV show was about, but if you're my age or even close, you remember 30 years ago the TV show Cheers. It was about a bar, so again, we don't need to model what they did in the TV show, but their theme song had the, the, the thought in it that everybody goes where people know their name. Now, here we got a crowd of people, and in the middle of this crowd, that you can't even get to them in, in, in verse 2. There was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus talking to the crowd. And it makes me, as I think about that scripture and I think about us today, how many times are we listening, we're hearing, but maybe we're not really understanding what Jesus is all about. It's, it's an academic pursuit. We're learning things, which is important. But we don't take the next step, which is implementing what we learn. We've got to do something about it. So here, there's a crowd of people. You can't even get to Jesus. So they've, they've clogged the pathway to Jesus. Do we do that? Now, honestly, you, you and me, I'm not casting stones at others, pointing fingers at somebody else. How many times are you and I in our pursuit to be near Jesus? We clog the pathway so that the outside folks who aren't there yet can't even get to him. And maybe in church we do that too now. We like our things. We like it our ways. I was at one of our, our rallies this week. Uh, not too, it wasn't this one. It wasn't region one, but it wasn't terribly far away from here. And a guy, and Pam, you're not going to be surprised, this guy was sitting at the supper table fussing about music. And now he didn't know me from Adam, you know, because I didn't. Well, I've got a name tag, but I either forget it or don't wear I don't just, I just don't like them, you know, the magnet little thingamajigs. And so everybody's sitting there, and they're talking, and he's fussing to his friend about, well, you know, if they don't sing this and sing that is, is basically what it came down to. And I was sitting there, and I, and I, I, I didn't say anything because I thought, I'm, I just don't want to argue tonight. I just don't want to. It's not going to profit anything. But how many times does our preference, and, and music's the one we talk about the most, but it can be anything. You know, our preferences get in the way of somebody who's on the outside coming to the inside. Because we've blocked the way like these people did. They're, Jesus is preaching the word in verse 2. They're, they're listening to him. But the people who were sick and who were lost on the outside can't get to him because they've clogged it up. Now the mission of the church that Jesus Christ gave us was to make disciples of all nations. You and me learning and, and being close to Jesus Christ, it's definitely a part of that. It's an indispensable part of that. But I heard one guy talking about the church, and he, he made this statement. He said, if you want to know how to grow a church, just create a bunch of your Sunday school classes or small groups. He said, create open cliques. And I'm, I'm sitting there, wait a minute now, I've never been encouraged 
to create a click. And so we're, he, he looked, looked at people's faces that were stunned probably. And he said, understand what I said, an open click. An open click is not a click like we think about it, that, hey, this is my group, us four and no more. An open click is saying, we've got a fellowship here and we want you part of it. Come on in and join us. So again, yeah, people will do that. They'll do it. And his statement was, uh, Josh Hunt's the guy's name. He's written several books. Uh, one of them's how to double your Sunday school class in two years or less. And his premise is founded on this. There are a lot of people who will never come to church as their first step, but they'll come to your house for ice cream. So invite them to your house for ice cream. And then as you develop a relationship with them, they're most of them more than willing to come to church. And he learned that because he was a minister of education at a church out in, in Arizona. And he said, as a big church, and he said, as people came to join our church with hundreds of people on, on Sunday, I began to realize that 60% of the ch- people who joined that big church with five or 600 on Sunday were people that I was inviting into my house to play bridge. And he said, you know, in the beginning, I'm, thought, I'm thinking, man, something's wrong here. When out of a church this big, that number of people have come through my house. We're not doing something right. And then as he contemplated and prayed, he said, no, what I really have done, I've stumbled on something. That they're willing to play bridge. And once they play bridge, they're willing to hear me have a spiritual conversation with them. And a lot of them come to know Christ. Well, a lot of times, I'm, I'm afraid what we do is we block the way to Jesus. They've got to meet whatever it is that we set up. And sometimes they're not bad things. But, but they've got to meet our rules or they can't get to Him. Now, in this case, it's just sheer numbers of people. They're just so many people that they can't get in there. And in verse 3, then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, to to me, that's an incredible scene. Now, they didn't have shingle roofs like, like we've got. But it, we're, we're wrong if we're thinking, oh, well, they just, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. It said they broke through the roof. Now, they, they tore some stuff up to get him there. Could have been thatched, but it was something that was in place, and they messed it up to get him there because these four friends understood what I believe Jesus Christ wants you and me to understand, and that is that Jesus Christ can meet those people's needs. Now, their friend's paralyzed, so their mind is, all of chapter 1 and Mark, Jesus has been healing people. So these guys are no dummies. They're, all right, this fellow who's in this house over here, he's been healing people. So if we get our sick friend, our paralyzed friend to him, he can heal him. And nobody else can. So these, these four determined friends aren't, deterred by the fact that the house is full they're not deterred that you can't get in the doors and can't climb in the windows there may there probably since you couldn't get in the window there probably was a crowd you know, all around out in the yard 
And they're not deterred by that. So they go up to probably stairs, but they go up the steps to the roof. And normally they had you know, flat roofs in, in that area. But they, they get up to the top of the roof and they tear it up. They break through it and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And so they're ignoring the crowd to bring their friend into the presence of Jesus Christ. I wish I did that more in my life. That, and crowds aren't a bad thing. Jesus never says they're a bad thing. But if my love and my focus was so much on the fact that I know people who were paralyzed by a, a lot of things. I don't know many who were paralyzed physically, but I do know some. But every one of us who's outside of Jesus Christ is paralyzed by sin. Everybody. And like we, we talked about in, in Sunday school, talking about somebody who's a, you know, a famous person who is, is on their way to hell right now. Now, they are. If they don't know Jesus Christ. And if my focus was, I need to bring the people I know and bring them into the presence of Jesus Christ so they can meet him because he's the only one who can meet their needs. Nobody else can do it. So they, they lower him down, middle of a crowd, in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now the answer to that is nobody can. Only God can do it. The religious leaders didn't understand who Jesus was. They missed it. Because... They're so busy listening to the things he's saying, a lot of times with a critical ear, just like they did here, looking with a critical ear, is he going to say something that doesn't match our law? Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, at the end of the story, and we'll get there in just a minute, this paralytic guy, he's got a lot more abundant life when he leaves Jesus than he did when he came to Jesus. He was paralyzed and couldn't walk and he was filled with sin and he was destined for an eternity separated from God. And at the end of this story, he can walk and he's forgiven. That is an abundant life. Now you and I know people who were away from Christ and what they desperately need is somebody who cares about them and loves them enough that even if it takes us picking them up by the four corners of a sheet... Or in our culture, probably picking them up in our car or truck and bringing them. Their lives can change when they meet Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, Son, verse 5, your sons are forgiven you. See how personal that is? Big crowd, so many people, you can't even stir them with a stick. And Jesus looked at this nobody that's paralyzed. He can't do anything on his own. And he personalized it, son, son. He does the same thing today. Son, daughter. Your sins are forgiven you. 
Now, these four friends didn't really understand that this guy's deepest need was forgiveness of sin. They didn't know that. They thought his deepest need was, was to be able to walk. Now, no matter what physical healing we have in our life, the time's still going to come when we die. Or we're, we're, if we're saved, we're raptured away. But we're not going, you and I aren't going to live forever on this earth. We're not. So healing that comes here physically is still temporary. And what Jesus did is jump right to the eternal. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And these religious leaders are, are mumbling. They're thinking to themselves, who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's God because he is God. That's the answer. But, but they think, who does he think he is? Who can forgive sins but God himself? And Jesus says, uh, this, and this is one of them, I, lo- I just love it. Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? You know they're sitting there and thinking, that's, that's a crazy question. You can say anything you want to see but, or say, but nobody can heal a paralytic. That's what they're thinking. Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he looks at the paralytic. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Oh, my goodness. Don't you know that place came unglued? I mean, you know it did. Because Jesus is just... (laughs) There's a big crowd there, and he sucked them in to his real point. They were wanting to see a miracle. They eventually saw one. But before they saw the physical, obvious miracle, he wanted to show them one that was even better. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's done all kinds of incredible things, and he drew a crowd. The reason he wanted the crowd to see all of these things is so they would know who he was and what he could really do on the inside. And the religious leaders are doing like, like you and I would do sometimes. They're, they're critical, they're thinking, and they're missing the real point. And so that, that incredible question, what's easier? To say something? Say your sins are forgiven? You and I can say that, but we're not God. Now, we can forgive them in our heart, but we can't wipe them off of God's slate. We can't do that. And so Jesus says, so, so, so that you'll know. So that you'll understand, I've got the power to forgive sins, which no one but God can do. Paralyzed son of mine, walk. And he did. The last verse, verse 12, immediately he arose, took up the bed, went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The crowd parted for him to leave. They wouldn't let him in, but they couldn't help but make pathway. For this healed, forgiven, 
messenger of God to get out and to tell the world what had happened. Folks, that's what Jesus Christ wants you and me to do. Be, we're, that, we're that paralyzed guy. We're that paralyzed young lady who paralyzed by our sin. We can't do anything or we're absolutely, positively helpless until Jesus Christ says to us, your sins, they're forgiven you. And he proves that he had the power to do it. Say, so, well, I haven't seen a paralyzed person walk. I was in Cuba on a mission trip sometime or another last year. I think it was fall, but I, I, don't, I don't remember. I think it was May, actually. A guy was up on the roof, and, and you know, flat roof. He was working on a water cistern, and he had made a ladder out of rebar. And it, it was about that wide. I, I don't, don't ask me why he made it so narrow, but I mean, it's just like this. He's up there. And he's, he's at the top, and he's doing something or another. Well, the, the guy, and this actually this happened right before I got there on the day I went, so I heard the story, and I uh, saw the guy later. But he's up there. The, the team that I went to meet, they were having breakfast. Well, this guy fell off the roof, landed on his, his back of his shoulders and his head. And th- there was a nurse in the group and, and a couple of ladies, a couple of men ran over, grabbed him, and, and as they tell the story, they said, you know, he, he was lifeless. And the nurse had his, you know, she's trying to get his pulse, and, and, and one of them's got her, her hand here trying to feel if there's, breath, uh, there's breathing. Nothing, nothing. And so one of the other ladies went to the, his feet, and she grabbed him by the ankles, and I'm, I mean, everybody's panicking at this moment because they're thinking, this, this guy's dead. He's dead. So Tammy grabs this guy by the ankles, about a 60-year-old man, and she starts praying, God, we, we, there's no life in this body. But you are the life giver. We ask you, dear God, raise this man up. And about that moment, he went... <gasps> And, and took a deep breath, and he sat up, and then he said, what happened? And as they were telling me the story an hour or two later when I got there, they were all, all shaking up, and every one of them said, we, we watched a dead man come back to life. Now, we saw it, and they, and they said, y'all are all going to think we're making stuff up. Y'all are all going to think we misinterpreted. You're, every one of you going to think uh, he was knocked out and had a concussion. And they said he wasn't breathing and he had no heartbeat. And, and the nurse said, and by my definition, that's dead. God raised him up. Now, that's an unusual miracle, but the truth of the story and what I want to convey is we miss things all the time. They're not big enough. They're little miracles. Near the time, like I was driving down near Rockingham one night years and years ago, there was a car beside me, and a truck, this was at night, a pickup truck, ran the stop sign, and we, the car and I, we were going 55, 60 miles an hour or whatever, and the, the truck, and I saw it out of the corner of my eye, it ran the stoplight and hit the car that was beside me. 
and never touched me. And I mean hit them in the side of the car, not in the front of the car. And I, I didn't think about it. You know, we, we all stopped in the truck. Uh, we wasn't damaged real badly. He pulled right on off. The, the policeman came in a minute. As, we, as my wife and I left, I, then the adrenaline has gone down and all. And I said, you, hang on, whoa, whoa now. This car was beside me, and he hit. How did he hit them? And he didn't hit me. When they were, I, I was seeing them pass me on the. How'd that happen? And even if they had slightly passed me, how in the world did he hit them? And his truck stopped in the road, and I never hit him, and I didn't run off the road either. I don't know. I got no idea. It was a miracle. It, it really was. God spared us. Because at 50 miles an hour, if I had T-boned him, I probably was not likely to be standing here now. He spared me for his reason. We miss those kind of things because it was a coincidence. Or the timing was just perfect. The timing of God's hand was perfect. But we miss it. Well, in, in, in this passage, Jesus is, is showing to all of the people... You're so focused on the physical stuff. You know, oh, yeah, that truck didn't hit you. Yeah, that guy fell off the roof and then, and then got up, and the next day all it was was sore and needed some ibuprofen. So he say, well, if, it, if he wasn't really dead and knocked out, how'd he not break his neck? And all he took, two ibuprofen, for goodness sakes. And we focus on the physical stuff, and we miss the bigger stuff which is that God took a sinner like me who was on his way to hell. I wasn't that bad of a guy now. I was an all right young man. But I was lost. And you may be in the same situation thinking, hey, everybody in Conway will tell you what a great person I am. I don't doubt it. But without Jesus Christ, you're lost. And your biggest need is not to be resurrected like the guy that fell off the roof. It's not to miss physical injury like I did in that accident. Your biggest need is spiritual healing that only Jesus Christ can give. It's forgiveness. Because this paralytic, physically he's dead now. But he's not really dead. Because on that day, he received the gift of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. That's what he offers our world. Now, we we mentioned Operation In as much earlier, and we will talk about it a, a lot more in the weeks ahead. But there's a town out there and beyond. Don't limit yourself by three or four or five or ten miles There are people out there who need to know the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can offer. And it's our responsibility to go get them and to bring them to him. And a lot of times that bringing to him is going to happen just like it did there. It's going to be in a house somewhere. It isn't always going to be in the church to begin with. It's going to be in a house. might be your house where you introduce them to Jesus Christ. It might be their house when you go to their house. 
But our job is to go find the people where they are and to bring them to meet Jesus. Now, the corporate part of it, just like happened on this day, is not unimportant. Bringing them to be a part of the body of Christ that that meets locally and celebrates and encourages and also makes us accountable, that's important. And I believe where we started, the comment I made that that Connie and I heard yesterday, yes, when we show the community out there that, that we love them and we know somebody who can meet their deepest needs, they'll come. But sometimes it'll mean they come because we bring them. I was in uh, uh, El Salvador years ago. We had wheelchairs that Johnny and friends of wheelchair ramp ministry, I mean uh, the wheelchair ministry, Wheels for the World, had gotten them from, uh, from people, and then they had prisons refurbish them, and we took, we shipped, I think it was 50, down to El Salvador, and we were giving them out this day. There was a lady... 87 years old. She came into that little church, tiny little building, just packed. <clears throat> they brought her in, carried on a on a sheet. And when they got her in the door, she said, I, I can, well, in Spanish, you know, she said, I can walk a little bit, just can't, can't walk much. And she had two canes and all. We gave her the wheelchair, and she sat in the wheelchair in the aisle over here. The invitation came, and and that that lady got up out of her wheelchair with her two canes, and she hobbled to the front, and somebody else was preaching, and I was the one standing here just receiving people and praying with them. That 87-year-old woman came up, and she said, For 87 years I've run from Jesus Christ. But today... I'm running to him. And you say, well, you gave her a wheelchair. That's right. If that wheelchair was the thing that it took to get that woman to open her eyes, that Jesus Christ can meet her needs, then for goodness sakes, let's get all the wheelchairs we can. Amen. Because her whole face changed. Her countenance changed. And they didn't carry her out of there on a sheet like they brought her in on a sheet. They wheeled her out in a wheelchair that a a paralyzed ladies' ministry provided for, and we got to be the delivery people, basically. What a great example of how when we show them that we know who can meet their deepest needs, that lady that night realized, my deepest need's not a wheelchair, my deepest need is forgiveness. And she left there with both. That's what Jesus Christ calls us to do. So today, this morning, are you willing to make a commitment to be one of those friends to carry the corners, to bear people, carry them, bring them to Jesus, who's the only one who can meet their needs? Bow with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for who you are and thankful, God, for what you do in our lives. And God, thank you that we can bring people to you and know that meeting their needs doesn't depend on us. It depends on you. 
Our job is just to bring them. And yes, you'll use us sometimes to meet physical needs and to meet the needs for encouragement and for love and and, and some of the the physical and, and human needs. But God, thank you that we can bring them to someone who can meet their deepest need for forgiveness and who also still is in the miracle-working business today. And God, we pray that you'll use us so that our world will see who you are and worship you. As we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. This morning, our invitation hymn is hymn 275, I Surrender All. And that's where it begins, complete surrender, absolute surrender. If you're here this morning and and you've never understood what that paralyzed guy received that day, which is forgiveness of wiping it away, the, the filthy, ragged, dirty parts of our life become just crystal clear and beautiful and washed like snow. Jesus Christ is offering that to you right now. You don't have to leave here today without knowing the new life he can give. But you may have other needs, and you're wondering, I, I, I don't know. Lord, I don't know how to pay the bills. I don't know if anybody cares about me. Does anybody really love me? Truly. What am I going to do with my life? And the list can go on and on and on. So you've got questions and you, you need some answers. Jesus Christ is the one who can meet those deepest needs. And in this time of invitation, the altar is open. You can come kneel right here and just say to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I don't know. I need answers for my life. I need answers for everything. And I understand that you're the one who will call me son, call me daughter. You're the one who's the answer. I surrender all forgiveness and an abundant life. Let's stand together as we sing.